0: Hello and welcome to Quick Hits, a podcast brought to you by Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President of Borealis, and I want to share with you something today, an activity that I've been involved with for the better part of, well, maybe five years at the least. It's probably longer than that, but I'll say five years. In other words, since my retirement from the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, or CSIS, in 2015. What I have been involved in quite a bit is talking to people, mostly young people, but not exclusively young people, who have expressed an interest in getting a career in intelligence, either security intelligence, such as CSIS, or CSE, Communication Security Establishment, or or even law enforcement, but more so on the security intelligence side, because that's the area that I know best, having worked in the field for 32 years. And I have found that a lot of people have written me and either they emailed me or they DM'd me or they got me on LinkedIn and they've said, I really want to look at the possibility of having a career like yours. And can you help me understand what it takes to get there? And I have to admit to you, this has become one of the most pleasant, enjoyable things I do in my so-called retirement from the security intelligence world. I love talking to people about my career insofar as I can, obviously. You've probably noticed by now that this being almost the middle of 2020, I'm pretty open about what I did and didn't do when I worked for CSIS and CSE with some restrictions, obviously. But I do tend to be rather open with the world of intelligence, especially the world of intelligence here in Canada, what it means and what it was like. And I also really enjoy helping people get the education background or other types of, of skill sets that put them in a fine place to perhaps join me in having a career in security intelligence. As I say to everybody who cares to ask, and this is becoming an old phrase that I'm maybe getting a little bit tired of, but it's still, necess- it's still never, nevertheless very true. I had a career that with very, very few exceptions. I couldn't wait to get to work every morning for 32 years. I loved my job. I loved most of the people with whom I worked. I liked the challenges. I liked the access. I liked the importance of what we were doing. I liked the impact of what it was. And so I'm more than happy to share my experiences with people who are seeking a similar career, a similar pathway to a, well, I call it a vocation. Some may think that's a bit of an exaggeration. We tend to think of vocations as religious in nature, but I see I see what I did for thirty-two years as, as a vocation. I enjoyed it so much and it meant a lot to me. I put a lot of work into it, a lot of you know, blood toil, sweat and tears, whatever the, the whatever Winston Churchill said. And I think it's a fine career path. And I think that those who are interested in, in gaining it should have a sense as to what it takes. what I tell people when they ask me, what do I need to do to get a career at CSIS or a career at CSE? First and foremost, I I tell them, your particular education background probably doesn't matter that much. Now, let me explain why. Now, I know things have changed in 40 years, but when I was first hired by communication security establishment CSE way back in 1982, I was finishing up my master's degree at the University of Western Ontario in Spanish. And I happened to have two or three other languages at the time. And my linguistic prowess was what I think garnered or attracted CSE's interest in the first place. And I went on to work as a multilingual analyst for 17 and a half years, working in 12 different languages. So clearly the fact that I had a, an arts degree, and this of course an arts degree in the depths of the early 1980s recession, which was really bad, when even people with engineering degrees weren't finding jobs, I was fortunate to land mine illustrates that it's not the degree itself that is necessary. People might think, well, you know, should I focus on political science? Should I focus in international relations? Should I focus in history? Should I focus in, I don't know, intelligence studies, insofar as there are university campuses which have credible intelligence studies programs? I'm not sure exactly how many that would be. And I tell them, not really. I mean, short of having an advanced a PhD in basket weaving, any degree that you have is probably a good thing. And it does seem that nowadays, most security intelligence services are requiring a at least a, an undergraduate degree. In the old days, high school was good enough. That's no longer the case. But it seems to me that most young people are getting at least BAs anyway, so that shouldn't be a problem. So it's not the, the nature of the degree which is important. To me, what would signal someone as a prime candidate? Somebody which a security intelligence service like CSIS, like CSE, would look for and would be impressed by are the following characteristics in no particular order. A passion for knowledge, a passion to learn more, an admittance that you're not always right, the maturity to say, I don't know, but I'll find out to the best of my ability a skill in in being able to go through copious amounts of information. We used to call it drinking from a fire hose because that's exactly what it was. Now, I can't imagine what the volumes are like in, in security intelligence because they were massive when I was there. And I was even the head of collection and data flow management at CSC in the late 1990s. The degree to which the collection platforms have increased is, is something which just it boggles my mind. I have no idea how big it is. But as an intelligence analyst, you have to be able to wade through these reams and reams and reams of information and extract what is of value, what meets intelligence requirements, and perhaps most importantly, to synthesize that intelligence, the information, into very, very short packages. What intelligence analysts do not do is write theses. They don't write 30-page papers. They write, write two to three pages maximum. Why? Because that's what customers are going to read. You try to get a, a time with a prime minister or a minister or a senior ADM or whatever in a Canadian government, and you plop down a 30-page paper in front of them. They will show you the door pretty damn quick. They don't want to read 30 pages. They want to read one or one and a half. So the ability to narrow things down to a very, very few number of pages, hit the main points, write concisely, write clearly, is absolutely paramount. The other thing which is really important intelligence of course is corroboration. The ability to look at a piece of information. And in trying to determine how truthful it is or whether or not the person providing is lying to find out other sources, just because source A says the sky is falling doesn't mean that that's true. Source B may say something completely different. So corroborating information is absolutely critical, I think, in the intelligence world. I'd also say that collegiality, the ability to work with others, well, that that goes for most jobs, I'm supposing, unless you're a hermit in a cave somewhere on a mountain, but the ability to get along with people to give and take to be to stress your point to defend your point but at the end of the day sometimes it's not your decision there's all kinds of papers that I wrote in which I was forced to say something I did not believe in because either I didn't have enough knowledge and there's other knowledge out there that was better than mine or frankly uh, a certain message was 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 get being get across to somebody so I didn't really like it but as part of a team you have to accept that I also think that you have to really be someone who is willing to learn constantly. I know in my career, as I said, I began as a multilingual analyst at CSE and I quickly morphed into a Middle East specialist for a very simple reason. I was the only Arabic Farsi linguist or maybe one of two people at CSE who could work in those languages and hence I was asked to look at that part of the world and see what was happening. I morphed that interest in the Middle East after 9-11 into an interest in Islamist extremism and terrorism and then Basically, even narrowly uh, sort of focus that further on what was happening here in Canada. Why Canadians were becoming jihadis. Why Canadians were joining Al-Qaeda. Why Canadians were joining Al-Shabaab or Islamic State or whatever. Why they were planning attacks here in Canada. So you have to have an openness to learn because things change. And let me give you a very prime example of this. Remember the Cold War? Well, I do because that's when my career started. And everything was Soviet Union, this Soviet Union, that. Well, eventually the Cold War ended. And the Soviet Union was dissolved, and we had a lot of people that worked for us at CSE who were Russian linguists and very good Russian linguists. But it turned that it turned out that the requirements simply weren't there anymore. We didn't need to know as much about the Soviet Union because it wasn't there anymore, or the rump Russia that replaced it, as we once once needed to. And hence, a lot of people who had a very narrow skill set—they were very good Russian linguists, but not much else—didn't have a job. And a lot of them got very handsome buyouts because they're nearing the end of their careers anyway, and they were said, "Look at." We just can't use your skill set right now. So you have to be open open to, to acquiring new skills, uh, to acquiring new knowledge, and to just be curious. Be curious about a lot of things. It certainly has lasted me the better part of 40 years. As you can tell those that follow me, I'm still blogging. I'm still podcasting. I'm still doing media interviews. But all that requires work. I don't wake up in the morning with all this knowledge and, you know, in my head. I have to read what's happening in the world and reflect upon it. What does this mean? What does it not mean? How how accurate is it? What are the implications? So I think if you follow these very, very simple, I don't know, pieces of advice, I guess I'll call them, you do stand a good chance to uh, gaining the interest of a, of a security intelligence service like CSIS or CSE. And if you are successful, you will have your frustrations. I certainly had my frustrations over 32 years. But at the end of the day, I go back to that thing I said at the, the outset of the podcast, you will have a career where... You probably won't be, be. You probably will be in a position where you can't wait to get to work in the morning. It's that exciting, it is that taxing, it is that fascinating, it is that important. And I think you will. You will feel a sense of accomplishment if you gain this. And so, to anybody listening out there, I'd love to have a more one-to-one conversation with you uh, on these notes. I've talked to dozens of people, probably hundreds, over the past five years who have expressed an interest in careers in this field. And if you're one of them, reach out to me. You can reach me on a variety of platforms. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at borealisaves, or I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm also on Facebook. If you like the content of this podcast and the other podcasts that I do and the other blogs that I do, like Today in Terrorism and an intelligent look at terrorism and perspectives, you can certainly subscribe to all the content that I produce. Simply go to my website, www.borealisthreateners.com, find the subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner, click that, put in your email information, and you'll get a daily digest free of charge to your inbox every morning. I hope to hear from you soon with your own stories and I'll talk to you again in a bit. Until then, stay safe.